Hello, and welcome back to Why Did Peter Sink? This is continuing a series, um, Whole, Both Body and Soul, Why I'm Catholic, Part 16. This one's titled, The Great Religious Deception and the Three Books I Take to a Desert Island. I'm also going to talk a little bit more about Agnes. If you listen to the last episode, St. Agnes, fascinating, great story, great martyr of the early church. Okay, let's get started. So I recently had the misfortune to witness a middle schooler in public playing a game on a virtual reality headset. Um, He was punching at the air and talking about all the blood coming out of the imaginary character he was fighting. And then he started making sexual motions with whatever was left of the imaginary bloody character. Um, And I don't know what exactly he was doing with it, although I could hear him saying, um, yeah, I, I, I knew what he was doing. Let's just put it that way. The spectacle went on um, for way too long, and it was public. It was just out in the open. Um, it dawned on me that we don't even have to pretend there are invisible demons any longer because people are openly engaging with them. Honestly, watching this kid on the VR headset made me want to call for the nearest exorcist and psychiatrist. Although. I would guess only the former could truly help. I think I would have just called the exorcist. But anyway, you know, the world is starving for authenticity. Everything we see on a screen is paper. It's paper thin. Everything we see in virtual reality is vaporware. Uh, A maddening search is happening today for authenticity. And the witness of the next St. Agnes is coming, who will jolt many from their slumber And others will, of course, attack that authenticity. Uh, Those who God calls, they hear his voice, and he does indeed call his sheep in very, very mysterious ways. Now, already in schools, we hear from kids uh, coming home that are being bullied for not being open enough to sex or ideas about sex. So chastity and the goal of chastity is, is becoming the sin of our age. That's the worst thing you could you could do is embrace yourself, believe that virginity is not a bad thing. Um, the occurrences and teachings happening at American schools everywhere, I do believe would make the Romans at an orgy do a double take at this point, and I'm not kidding. Now, while this may seem a tragedy, this may actually be a good sign. It may actually be part of the great comedy, because as you know, Comedy ends in a marriage, and only tragedy ends in death. That's why Dante's Dante's, uh, Divine Comedy is called a comedy. It ends in a marriage, even though he has to go through hell, purgatory, before he gets to heaven. And like Romeo and Juliet is considered a tragedy because it ends in death. Or like Much Ado About Nothing is a comedy because it ends in a marriage. So in our story, the marriage of heaven and earth is guaranteed but it has to follow a trial before the passing of this world happens. And all is God's will. The victory is already won. That's a good thing. Now, quick reminder, quick reminder here. God is outside of time and space. That's extremely important to remember. So you don't fall into like the Bertrand Russell version of God or Carl Sagan or Flying Spaghetti Monster, any of these. God is outside of time and space. Only we are within it, okay? Our job is to cooperate with God's grace that is freely offered. But we can reject it, too. That's called free will. The Catechism of the Catholic Church covers all of this. 
It is truly essential reading, so much that if I am ever exiled to a desert island, I will take three books with me. One is the Bible, probably a study Bible like the Didache or the Word on Fire Bible or the Ignatius Press Bible. Anyway, the Bible. The second book is the Catechism. And the third one is the Imitation of Christ. And I will say if I get a fourth book, I'll probably bring Moby Dick because it's inscrutable and I'd be kind of in a beachy area. So that could give you years to read as well. Okay. So in our in our world, like I said, the victory is already won. The marriage of heaven and earth is guaranteed, but it will follow a trial before the passing of this world happens. We are guaranteed a wild fourth quarter here before the final buzzer sounds. Whatever you do, do not follow the crowd. Whatever you do, do not follow the crowd. The wisdom of the crowd is a myth. Yes, it's a good title for a book, like a business book. And um, But Jesus said the opposite when he said that wide is the road that leads to destruction and the gate is narrow that leads to eternal life. Now, Agnes found the narrow gate. St. Agnes found the narrow gate. Mary found the narrow gate. Abraham found the narrow gate. Whatever is in store for the years ahead, be like St. Agnes or be like Mary, the mother of God. Don't fall for the coming AI bot or VR headset. The great religious deception will claim billions, but spoiler alert, God wins in the end. As always, in the end, God gets the victory and the glory. And like all romantic comedies, this all ends in a wedding because he loves us. Here's uh, from the Catechism, paragraph 677. The church will enter the glory of the kingdom only through this final Passover, when she will follow her Lord in his death and resurrection. The kingdom will be fulfilled then, not by a historic triumph of the church through a progressive ascendancy, but only by God's victory over the final unleashing of evil, which will cause his bride to come down from heaven. God's triumph over the revolt of evil will take the form of the last judgment after the final cosmic upheaval of this passing world. Did you get that? Cosmic upheaval. So brace yourself. You need to find a rock to hold on to. A rock. You need to build your foundation on a rock, not on sand. And what this culture is offering us today is on sand. The church is the rock. Peter was named rock. Put it all together. This world is passing. But before it does, we will see more saints like Agnes. And by your endurance, by your perseverance, you'll gain your soul, just like Agnes. So we've reached the final end of this era, this age, where nowadays, unless you are fully committed to unchastity, you are considered evil. This is quite a, quite a change. The inversion is made um, in the culture, but like a buoy in the water, the right side up will bob back into view once we stop trying to drown that which forever floats and can never be sunk. And that is the beauty of Christ, the truth of Christ, and the goodness of Christ. We've gone all the way down now, which means the only way left is to go up, just as Dante showed us so well in the Divine Comedy. And we've gone through this long period of um, 
deception from John Wycliffe to Machiavelli to Rene Descartes, even who considered himself part of the church, to Thomas Hobbes, to Karl Marx, to Michel Foucault, to Richard Dawkins and Steve Jobs, and to the currently trendy Yuval Harari, um, who's all about the transhumanism where we'll become robots. And it's going to be so great, just like Karl Marx with the, oh, you got to laugh. All of these intellectuals are shoving God off stage constantly, and God keeps coming back on stage. Um, we've reached full selfie mode today. And the final stage of, of this whole my truth, um, that is the descendant of the twin killers of faith, which are sola scriptura and pure reason. Thank you, Immanuel Kant and Martin, Martin Luther. So many Germans. It's interesting. Getting rid of God did not produce the glorious society. It did not. So we are living in a state where God is, has been shoved off stage as much as we can possibly do it. You can't talk about God in anything public. He's out of the public square. And where is our glorious society? It's not here. And worse, it did not free us from sin. It, it allowed us to deny sin and pretend it's not there. But now we have immense problems because of it. And it did not disprove any teaching of the Catholic Church. So the Pollyanna ideas of some of our, our celebrated thinkers today, like Steven Pinker and Yuval Harari, they, their, their books, here's another prophecy, will be as historically funny as the certainty of Hegel or Marx or Fukuyama's claims, who all said, this is the end of history. Those people all said, history is over because our ideas are the final answer. And that's been utterly false i can't even believe there's still people are still reading them but anyway rest assured in case anyone wonders history as we know it in time and space on this planet will be over when jesus returns not before and not after for those with concerns about being on the right side of history quotes on the right side of history the right side is that of agnes and mary and philomena and perpetua and felicity and all of the other teenage girls who changed the world in the name of Jesus Christ, son of the living God. I guess I could throw in, throw in St. Therese of Lisieux, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Catherine of Siena, etc. All right. After all of the attacks and misinformation and corruption and abuse, the truth of Christ still stands and will forever stand. And so does the church. It stands on the triple foundation of sacred tradition, sacred scripture, and the authority of the magisterium. We were taught that all the wars of the past were over religion. But then the 20th century happened with religion nowhere in sight. This gives us a great opportunity to review what we were taught about things like the 30 Years War and the English Civil War as well. What we learn if we look back at history and if you look hard is that these were wars of nationalism, of kings and mercenaries, not unlike the world wars, which were over resources and power like every war. All wars are unlike Christ, but we tell ourselves fibs to blame religion. When it is always powerful and prideful leaders, the opposite of humble, who may or may not use people's faith as a tool to wage their wars. The reality is this. Religion in Europe and America has been placed under the state for a long time. For a long, long time. Even Lutheran Calvin traded their budding churches for state protection. 
and both found early on that to protect their idea or ideas, the sword was needed in carrying forward their interpretations. And once they and so many others took up their personal vocation to be Pope, they then found that putting the toothpaste back in the tube could not be done when the peasant revolt started because the peasants realized that they also had a vocation and calling to be Pope. Everyone became a Pope. That was the problem. Self-love. Everyone became the interpreter of sacred scripture. Thus, it was no longer sacred. So the claim you hear today of my truth is how we all crown ourselves Pope. We all want to be king and pope, actually, and in rejecting the pope, the Reformation crowned kings who hired biased interpreters to argue and and sew together a quilt of their desires and call it the word of God. Eventually, we all became kings of our own flat, secular lives. There's a saying, it was, whose realm, their religion. That came out of the 1500s, when kings were hammering scripture to fit their needs. Whose realm, their religion. In other words, who's the boss here? Yeah, you just make the religion what you need it to be. So Henry VIII is the most famous for doing this, but it wasn't just him. It was every realm that realized they could act like Jack in Lord of the Flies and invent their own religion on the other side of the island. The Spanish did this with the church as much as they could. Um, The Holy Roman Empire did it as much as they could, and that was not actually the church. I've written about this ad nauseum in two long series, one about Abraham and Uranus and one about the Tower of Babel. So none of this rejection of God is new. But what is always new is St. Agnes or Mary, the mother of God. Their saying yes to God is always new. The rejection of the rejection of God always stuns us because we forget that we can say yes to God and no to the world. Rejection is the oldest cliche in history. Rejection of God is the oldest and our first sin, obviously, and it comes from pride. And it's boring. It always needs a new name. We just pretend every generation that it's new, but it's trite and lame. The religious deception is the same. It's always, surprise, we worship ourselves. So thinkers like Descartes or Dawkins or Harari and the others, they're not doing anything particularly deep, even though we pretend they are. They are just doing what happened in the garden with more updated language. They're just bad ideas with modern jargon that resurrect the moon god religions of old. They expand and they expound the moon god with more words and different names, a thousandfold more words, all to reduce the authority of God. All they want, really, is to take up the mantle of God, but they can't. Sorry, creatures. Remember, creature, create, created. You are created, creature, created. See it? I know it hurts to hear it. I know it hurts. But the right posture between creature and creator is that we worship the creator. So rebellion seems original every generation, but it's like watching reruns. It's boring. Every power grab in history is the same as it is universally a rejection of God and of neighbor. When Descartes said, I think, therefore I am, which we all learn in uh, freshman college or high school philosophy or whatever you take, I think, therefore I am. Descartes declared, thinking, 
to be the first principle, thinking, which is precisely the fall in the Garden of Eden, as the devil places a thought into Eve's head that she will be like God, and then Adam follows along, and then he blames her. So the reason Mary's fiat, her yes to God, is such a big deal is because it reverses Eve's no when she takes that thought and runs with it. And this is why we call Mary the undoer of knots. She's undoing the no and saying yes to God. And we can all do that in our own lives, amazingly. So no, Rene Descartes, Mr. Descartes, thinking is not the first principle of all things. In fact, I think it's the part of the religious deception. Uh, being itself is God. Being itself. I know when Moses meets God, he asks him, what is his name? And he says, I am who am, or I am who I am, meaning I am being itself. In other words, I am the creator. Nothing exists without me. So the fact that Descartes can think doesn't mean he is the creator. He is the one making it all happen. His Descartes' great mistake was to assume that thoughts come from us and are not put there, and he managed to strip away everything but his mind, and in excessive thinking, he became a mouthpiece of the one, hint, the father of lies, who forever tries to tell us that the soul does not matter, or, at the very most, if the soul exists at all, is disconnected from the body. In fact, I think in our amputation of the last 500 years, Descartes, I think, therefore I am, put the mind and body into two different worlds. So Descartes, Descartes was an amputee. I guess I just learned that now. Um, but I can relate. As I've said, through a long series of academic arguments, I amputated my soul using the method of Descartes, and so have many others today. But it bears repeating. This bears repeating. The good news is that the soul didn't go anywhere. It's still linked with the body. In fact, it's inseparable in the long run. We just think it's been amputated, just as we think the devil doesn't exist and think that God doesn't exist, or we think that God isn't a living God who knows the number of hairs on our heads. But when you think that God does know you and you work with his grace and cooperate with him and work toward not sinning and say yes to God, you will see the religious deception come to an end in your life. And you will start to see beautiful things happen. Say some prayers today. Talk to God. Get to know him. That's how you become saved, by come, building a relationship with God, believing in him. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'll see you on the next episode. Only one more round of talking a little bit about St. Agnes. But um, we'll talk about Abraham, too, in the next episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs>